This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hello and welcome to Bookmark This, a Straits Times podcast where we talk about books and the headlines and recommend you new reads. I'm Olivia Ho and I'm here today with my co-host Toen Lee. Hello. Well, this episode is not so much about reading as it is about listening. So we're going to be talking about audiobooks, a format that's experiencing massive growth elsewhere in the world. The Audio Publishers Association in the United States reported last year that the audiobook sales jumped by 22.7% in 2017. And that that makes an estimated 2.5 billion US dollars. So that's big money there. But despite this, I don't think that they've really caught on in Singapore yet. No, not really. I mean, it's not that we don't have audiobooks. We have um, NLB's quite large collection, which you can listen to on the Overdrive app. There are big international platforms like Audible and most recently Storytel, which entered the market in May. And what excites me most about Storytel, which is from Sweden, is that they are creating original audiobooks of Singapore literature. So, which audiobooks have they launched in Singapore? Well, I think at the end of the year they intend to launch about a hundred titles, and they're slowly rolling these out. So they've、um, been working with publishers like Epigram,、mm-hmm. Armor Publishing, and Marshall Cavendish. So we've got books like、uh, Balikor Jaswal's Inheritance,、um, Let the People Have Him,、uh, the book on Chiam Si Tong,、um, the Mount Emily series for middle grade readers. And、uh, I think by the end of the year they want to have more books and books on、um, the former Premier Lee Kuan Yew. State of Emergency by Jeremy Tiang, which is a favorite for both of us, so we're very much looking forward to that. So we've been experimenting with the Storytel app, and、uh, this was Wen Li's first time listening to audiobooks because you've not done that before. And can I ask? Yes, in fact, it was my first time listening to audiobooks. I'm an audiobook virgin, you could say. I, I didn't think I would enjoy it as much as I did actually, because I'm someone who reads very quickly. I'm a fast reader, and I always thought that you know, listening to an audiobook, slowing down, hearing someone else's voice in my head, I always felt that it wouldn't work as well as if you know I had just read the book the traditional way. Um, but I feel it, it. It was quite an enjoyable experience. I mean, it depends on who's reading it, right? I mean, some narrators you you just can't stand their accent or the sound of their voice,、um, and and others it's just a, a whole、um, auditory experience in itself. And you you listen it as much for the narrator as you do for the the content of the book. So I feel that there were some books that you know worked really well with、um, in 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 audio format. So what's one book that you recommend for the narrator? I think、um, David Sedaris's book. There's one that's available on Storytel. It's called "Children Playing Before a Statue of Hercules." Well, with David Sedaris, he's known for being a, a brilliant reader of his own stories. I mean, people pay tickets to listen to him reading out his own stories, and I think the the thing that makes him such a good speaker because he, he's a comedian.、Um, As, as we know, and、um, the, the the great thing about him is he has such a funny voice. <laughs> I think <laughs> so.、Um, so that really adds to the experience. I think there was there was once when he mentioned that there was a school student who mistook him for an old woman. Apparently, that happens quite a lot. Yes, exactly. So that's why David Sedaris is such a good audiobook narrator. He just has a funny voice. Yeah. So we got a quick clip from、uh, David Sedaris's "Children Playing Before a Statue of Hercules." When it comes to music and movies, I'm still the same coward I was in the eighth grade. You like that? Someone will say, and I'll take it all back, just as I did with Indiana Wants Me. With stories, though, I feel more self-assured, almost bullyish. I'm ready to pick fights for these writers, step outside, play dirty, and if I'm beaten down, I'll be like that knight in the Monty Python movie, armless and legless, a determined stump, shouting, "Come back here, you!" I'm not finished yet. 
there's a kind of sardonic self-consciousness to his voice. I mean, I don't even know how to put it, but it's, I can see myself laughing more easily at his jokes. So some of the singlet titles that storytellers producing have also been read by the original authors, and one of them is Neil Humphreys. So he's born in Britain, but now he lives in Singapore, and he's a humor writer who's been amusing people for many years with his takes on Singapore life from an expatriate's perspective. I think what amuses me most about the Neil Humphreys versions of his audiobooks is that they sound so much like him. You know, this very working class British accent. Because you're narrated by him. Yes. Yeah, so, and because his voice is already so clear when he's writing, and uh, he he it's quite quite loud, very brash, but also um, no holds barred humor. You know, his voice is already very clear on the page, mm-hmm. and I think it's been quite a treat to hear him say his words uh, from, you know, his very working-class British accent to his um, attempts to speak Singlish, uh, <laughs> which he does with great sincerity and verve. And um, also, it's kind of just like sitting in a pub, you know, having someone shout their shout their story at you. Exactly. It's almost like he's just pulled up his chair next to you and started <laughs> rattling on about some experience he's had. Yeah, so I'm going to play a clip from his first book, which is Notes from an Even Smaller Island. Sun, rain, sun, then rain again. Welcome to the Singaporean monsoon season. Like the impending visit of the inland revenue, there is no warning. It just happens. Clouds appear, the deluge hits you, and you are left wondering for the 1,000th time how those old women living along your corridor instinctively know when to bring in their washing. Then, just as you have manoeuvred your life raft into position, the sun comes out. The miraculous drainage system has cleared the water and you are left looking a fool in the middle of Orchard Road holding a pair of oars. So speaking of David Sedaris just now, um, I was reminded of one of the legends of audiobook production, which is Lincoln in the Bardo, Mm. the Man Booker Prize winning novel by George Saunders about the Civil War America and the son of Abraham Lincoln dying and uh, his ghost ending up in a graveyard with hundreds of other ghosts who all want to have a say in this story. How many other ghosts are there exactly? There are about... 166 people involved in this, the making of this audiobook. Um, There are people voicing um, reverends, slaves, soldiers, drunk people, vagrants, and just all manner of people who are buried in this graveyard. It sounds like a logistical challenge, just getting all of them down into the recording room, (laughs) recording studio to have their voices recorded. And these are not, you know, um, so there were people involved that were like celebrities. So there was David Sedaris, um, he's one of the voices. Nick Offerman, uh, George Saunders himself voices the Reverend. Uh, and Susan Sarandon and Julianne Moore, mm. these huge, huge, huge names. Huge names. And at the same time, they were also just normal people, like uh, like George Saunders' relatives or his agent. <laughs> and it's a pure cacophony. Uh, and it's quite something. So it's on the page, it's you know very confusing. And I imagine as an audiobook, it's even worse. But you get that effect of being bombarded by different voices. And it runs for seven hours, right? So that feels quite brisk for an audiobook featuring 166 yeah. people. Yeah, because some people just don't even say anything. They have like very short lines and some people just go on and on and on, mm-hmm. and, you know. But yeah, it's fascinating. Unfortunately, we don't have it on Storytel or we were played for you. But it's definitely something that I think uh, is quite an experience. Yeah, definitely on our wish list. So there, there's some audiobooks that, you know, bring something new to the written word. They add something to the experience. They don't just, they don't just subtract from 
yeah. from the book, but they, yeah, so I think they add a new layer to it. Performance is quite important, so it's um, very interesting to get famous people reading reading your audiobooks. And I think one of the ones I think of is Michael Sheen reading Philip Pullman's Michael book. Sheen. Michael Sheen, who is such a <laughs> he's such a chameleonic actor, and he when he reads Philip Pullman's The Book of Dust, uh, the first volume, La Belle Sauvage. And he he puts on all these voices, and there are many characters in the Book of Dust, which is about uh, if you know his Dark Materials, the book, the trilogy that Philip Pullman is most famous for. It's about a girl called Lyra, and how she is caught in the battle between the, the forces of heaven, and she is the either the way you see it, she's the Eve who will destroy the world or save it. The Book of Dust is set. Many years before the events of his Dark Materials, it's um, when Lyra is still a baby and um, is squirreled away in a convent. She's hidden because there are people who are pursuing her, who you know believe her already to be this child of the prophecy, and she's rescued and she's taken care of by an eleven-year-old boy called Malcolm and his co-worker Alice, who work at um, the nearby inn. Michael Sheen, I think, does so well with this. There are all these different characters that he makes an effort to distinguish. So um, one of the characters is called Jared Bonneville. He's a villain, and he has um, he's accompanied by a demon, a hyena, who has this very distinctive, very ridiculous and menacing laugh, which Michael <laughs> Sheen really goes for. He's like, ha-ha, you know. And, um, and he has all these other characters, like the fairies, the um, giants who run the waterways, and uh, different accents, and Mrs. Coulter, Lyra's mother. And yeah. I'm going to play a clip from La Belle Sauvage. It's just the very beginning. No, no hyena laughter. No hyena laughter, unfortunately, but at least you get a sort of a sense of Michael Sheen's voice in this. Three miles up the River Thames from the centre of Oxford, some distance from where the great colleges of Jordan, Gabriel, Balliol, and two dozen others contended for mastery in the boat races, out where the city was only a collection of towers and spires in the distance over the misty levels of Port Meadow, there stood the Priory of Godstow, where the gentle nuns went about their holy business, and on the opposite bank from the Priory there was an inn called the Trout. There's another one we listened to, right, the one by Marlon James, Black Leopard Red Wolf. So Black Leopard Red Wolf is uh, epic African-inspired. Everyone's saying it's the African Game of Thrones. It's this hugely violent, violent fantasy. Because I think one of the things that Marlon James is trying to do with this is to overturn the very westernized notion of fantasy. And the language that he uses to do it, it's not the very Anglo-American uh, register that you're used to. And when I was reading the book, because all the, you know, the way that he plays with, um, with accents, with grammar, uh, I spent a lot of time trying to work out what he was doing in my head. And so when I heard it read by Dean Graham, who's the um, artist doing this book, um, it made so much more sense. And then you get this richness of the language you know, these uh, this very this tapestry of culture. Mm. Um, so it's, it's a book about a man called Tracker. Tracker has a very long and storied history of violence, and he has been tasked to find a boy who has gone missing. So here we have uh, Dion Graham reading a segment of it, and um, in this, Tracker has gone to the underworld to locate a king who does not wish to return, and the king has invoked um, some beings called the Omoluzu who Ooh. can walk on the ceiling. The king kept laughing, then a creak, then a rip, then a break, as if gods of the sky were ripping the roof open. Omoluzu, somebody said. Omoluzu, roof walkers, night demons from an age before this age. They have tasted your blood, Draka, 
Omoruzu will never stop following you. I grabbed his hand and sliced it. He bawled like a river girl when the ceiling started to shift, sounding as if he was cracking it, breaking and hissing, but staying still. I held his hand over mine and collected his blood while he slapped and punched like a little boy, trying to pull away. The first shape rose out of the ceiling when I threw the king's blood in the air. Now both of our fates are mixed, I said. His smile vanished, his jaw dropped, and his eyes popped. I dragged him down the steps as the ceiling rumbled and cracked. Men black in body, black in face, black where eyes should be, pulled themselves out of the ceiling like men climbing out of holes. And when they rose, they stood on the ceiling the way we stand on the ground. From the Omoluzu came blades of light, sharp like swords and smoking like burning coal. The king ran off, screaming, leaving his sword. I think audiobook narrators should be regarded as voice actors in their own right. I mean, it's such a, I don't want to say rare skill, but it is a, a really valuable skill to have, being able to narrate something in such a captivating way. And it requires a lot of stamina as well. For instance, the Marlon James book is hours and hours long. It, you have to keep the same register. Like, you know, the two of us, we're just talking now, but we're, we're not very experienced at this, and our, you know, our volume goes up and down. But these people have to keep the same register, the same pace. And on top of that, they have to do character acting. They have to do, you know, different voices. Yeah, they're just playing themselves, right? So one more audiobook I wanted to mention was uh, one of the singular audiobooks, uh, The Last Immigrant by Lao Siu Mei. This was not a book that grabbed me initially when I read it. Uh, it's one of the Epigram Books Fiction Prize long-listed novels from some years ago, but when I was reading it, I wasn't particularly engaged. But then when I heard uh, Benjamin Chow, who was a um, Singapore actor, read it out, then I really got this sense of very, you know, this wry, almost magical, realist um, mm. Um, tone of it. This novel set in Australia about xenophobia and, mm. you know, what happens when your neighbours, you know, look at you in a certain way. So it's told from the point of view of Ismail, who is uh, from Singapore, lives in Australia, and his job is to stop immigrants from coming into the country, even though he himself is an immigrant. Ten years since his parents passed away, he still missed them. He and his American-born wife, Natalie Mary Chan Williams, had moved after his parents' death to a neighbouring suburb. The street they lived on was called Fish Lane. Down both sides of the street, which ended in a cul-de-sac, houses were neatly planted, six altogether. Each had a U-shaped plot of land in front and a U-shaped back garden. Without gate or fencing, the front yard of each was laid open to any intruders. None, it seemed, was expected. The houses were designed for a safe, comfortable world. It was a quiet neighborhood. When Ismail's parents first moved to Brisbane and his father had ventured for walks in his neighborhood, someone had reported to the police that a threatening foreigner was stalking their streets. Actually, why do you think audiobooks are catching on? I, mean, I think it might have something to do with you know how we're so saturated information um, at work. I mean, we deal with words and, and I think most people spend their, their working hours staring at the computer screen and you're bombarded by so much information on social media, via email and so on. People just want a break from all the words in their life and they just want to listen to something, um, which might seem a bit more refreshing, I guess, than, you know, picking up a book and reading more words again. 
I think there's a very utilitarian bent to it. So audiobooks are something you can do when you're doing other stuff mm. like uh, driving or showering or cooking, things that require your hands and your eyesight. So you know you can be driving and then you just play an audiobook and then you get some reading done. So if you still call it reading if if you're not reading? Yes, I think I th- I I think it's reading. I think it's the same text. You're just hearing in a very particular voice, that's all. Mm. I mean you're still you're still um experiencing the book. Yeah, so I count a book that I've listened to as an audiobook as a book I've read. But what about when it doesn't work, you know? Um were there any audiobooks that you yes. felt were better as a book than as a in listening? Yeah, there was this um book by Singaporean author Charlene Teo, Ponty. I mean we both really liked the book. Yeah, Ponty. I, I found like it so Ponty. relatable. Um as as a girl who as someone who grew up in, in Singapore, um I feel like really relate to you know, the scenes of girlhood and those scenes of girlhood she she painted in her novel, um, but I felt a bit different listening to it narrated by um, Vera Chok, a Malaysian actor and writer. Why is that? Do you think it's something to do with the accent and also the way the the main female protagonist sounded? She sounded a bit too a bit too happy, a bit too well adjusted, um, and it felt a bit out of step with the tone of the of the novel. Um, the sardonic edge of the narrator seemed somewhat missing from the audiobook version. I thought she sounded very plummy, like um, how I imagine Astrid Leong from Crazy Rich Asians <laughs> to sound like. Today marks my 16th year on this hot, horrible earth. I'm stuck in school, standing with my palms pressed against a green wall. I'm pressing so hard that my fingers ache. I am tethered to this wall by my own shame. I'm in trouble again. I keep finding myself in trouble. It takes me weeks to wade out of it. There's something dishonest about my face, even when I'm telling the truth. What can you do when you're born with a bad face? Oh, the other one that um, didn't work for me was The Riot Act by Sebastian Sim. Uh, that was read by Karen Tan. So it's a black comedy about the Little India Riot. And I enjoyed this book when I was reading it on the page. I thought it was hilarious. But then when I heard it read out loud, it scenes that I th- thought were so funny just suddenly felt very cringeworthy. And the, the difference was so stark. And I think one of the things that the audio version highlighted for me was the thesaurus syndrome of the book, the mm. tendency to use um, fancy words in places where maybe it's not entirely appropriate. Like, uh, oh, one of the things that annoyed me a lot was, I think, the use of astringent uh, mm. to describe online comment. Um, when you It's know, a very dry academic way of putting it. Yeah, when you just mean, like, nasty or mean, you know. Yeah. And that sort of took away from the comic role of the, the words. On that fateful night, in December 2013, approximately an hour before the vehicles on the streets nearby were set on fire, Rodrigo apparently felt the itch again. Hashwini had disrobed and stepped into the shower when Rodrigo sneaked in and hopped onto the ledge above the towel rack. He eyed the lineup of fanciful toiletries thoughtfully. One of the bottles was unkept and positioned nearer to the edge than the rest. Rodrigo reached out and gave it a little nudge with his paw. The bottle wobbled. 
So I suppose it, there is some truth to the old adage that you should read your work out loud. Yeah, I was going to ask if that's something you subscribe to. Do you be are you one of those people who believe that you know you should you should read out your 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 work as you write it, and if it doesn't sound right when read, you should just rephrase it. You know that. I think that it depends on the kind of book that you're writing, and if you're writing a comic novel, you probably should. A comic novel that's meant to, you know, be very relatable, that you know, you should do that. Um, if you're writing Finnegan's Wake, maybe don't. Then maybe not. Yeah. There was I, another book I, I enjoyed, um, the life changing magic of tidying up by Marie Kondo. I, I actually gave it. I actually sold that book at a flea market. So um, okay. really, in step with the with the spirit of her book. Um, I, I enjoyed it, but but the audiobook the audiobook version was was well done. I mean, it was narrated by this woman called um, Lucy Scott with a British accent, but it just felt a bit strange because, as we as we all know, Marie Kondo is a Japanese woman. Hearing her words read out with a with British accent just felt very peculiar to me. But maybe that says more about me than it does about the book, right? Maybe I should I should reassess why I have these biases, and, and maybe maybe it shouldn't make a difference. I don't know. Would it have helped if the book had been read in a Japanese accent? Maybe. Mm, okay, in the way that you know Marie Kondo sounds when she speaks English. Well, not quite the way she sounds when she, when she speaks English, but maybe an audiobook with a more neutral-sounding accent. Have you ever tidied madly, only to find that all too soon your home or workspace is cluttered again? If so, let me share with you the secret of success. In this book, I have summed up how to put your space in order in a way that will change your life forever. Impossible. This is a common response and not surprising considering that almost everyone has experienced a rebound effect at least once, if not many times, after tidying their home. It's difficult with audiobooks sometimes if you miss one part and then, you know, you're like, well, did I miss that? You know, if you're stopped, you're trying to do a difficult turn when you're driving. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I hope you haven't taken too many dangerous and difficult turns. But yeah, I mean, I, f- I found that a, a bit annoying. I mean, I really like Storytel. I think it's a it's pretty user-friendly format. Um, one thing I wish it did have was a kind of um, a way for us to go back to um, specific chapters. Yes. So Overdrive, uh, the NLB app, does have that. Um, so you can skip between chapters there, and I found that very helpful. And um, but you know, I think all platforms have different advantages, different bugs. Yeah. Do you think some parents will use audiobooks as a substitute for bedtime reading? Like you know, if if you wanted your child to read Harry Potter, I mean, instead of sitting down with your child in bed, turn on some Stephen Fry and have the expert, the actor, read it out to your children instead. Do you think that's going to happen? Well, here's the thing: my parents actually did play a lot of cassette tapes to me when I was a child. What kind of cassette tapes? Um, was it my naughty little sister? Oh. <laughs> that was something that they used to play in the car all the time. And now that I think back on it, they must have listened to you know hours and hours of children's children's recordings. But um. I think nothing really replaces um, nothing really replaces reading to your own child. But if you are driving and should not be reading to your child, then maybe this is a good, you know, good replacement. And all in all, I think that it's one shouldn't really see audiobooks as replacing print books. It's more of a complement mm, exactly. than a competition. Audio storytelling is so old. Yeah, it dates as far back as Beowulf. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And then, you which was written to be heard, to be read out loud. And we remember the um, rediffusion programs that mm-hmm. our parents or grandparents listened to. So it's kind of interesting. You think we've come full circle in a, in a strange, in a strange way. We're returning to this more oral form of storytelling. Yeah, not so because we can't read the written format, because we just favor it because of our busy schedules, or because we we just want a change of media. It really depends on what works for you. Are you a person who likes to listen? Are you a person who likes to read? You can do both.
And I think that's all that we have time for today. Thank you very much for listening to us and listening to other people as well. Until next time, see you. That was an SBH podcast by the Straits Times and the Business Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast at sbh dot com dot sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at the Straits Times and the Business Times online.